like the BBC called me and they said, you know, I think I was actually in Shanghai working at the time. And I had a, a call from someone at the BBC radio. And I think the first question was, what's the next big vegetable? And um, I just remember thinking, <laughs> someone had said, well, you are, you know, vegetable royalty. It was all ever so slightly Monty Python. And I do like to do things that are serious and health, you know, healthy and, and, and smart. But I, I, I don't take myself too seriously. Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers, experts and influence, people who have been behind an entire movement or crazy world of influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement or a nation. Now, I'm going to start today's introduction with a quote from The Times. Not my usual MO with introductions, but today, just bear with me. And the quote goes like this. If the vegetable kingdom had a supermodel, it would be kale. Now, you know kale, right? The green leafy vegetable seems to be in everything, everything healthy, at least. Steamed kale, baked kale, kale smoothies, dehydrated kale chips, and my personal favorite that I came across recently at a restaurant in the city that made me just want to fold up my menu and put it down and go home, kale ice cream. Now, for those of you who've been living under a rock for the past decade, kale now has to be one of the world's most talked about superfoods or vegetables of the past few years. In 2014, Whole Foods went from barely stocking kale to selling 22,000 bunches of it per day, and small-time kale chip producers became multi-millionaires practically overnight. So why am I talking about kale? Why am I talking about vegetables? Well, from foods to fashion, even Beyonce sported a kale sweatshirt in one of her popular music videos, which, like all things that seem to come out of nowhere and suddenly be everywhere, suddenly go viral, it's just interesting to ask the question, right? What exactly happened? Who started these wheels in motion? Who started this conversation? How did they feel about what happened next? And more importantly, how on earth did they do it? So this, this episode actually starts probably nearly a year ago when I hadn't yet asked myself any of those questions about Kale, but it began with an email from somebody called Captain Jack. And the rough gist of the email was this, it said, I love your podcast. And if you haven't already, you have to talk to a lady called Oberon Sinclair. She made Kale famous, full stop. Now I get probably a handful of these emails every week. Some are interesting, some are just downright strange, but there was something about Captain Jack and the words made kale famous that I think pretty understandably just got me hooked. And what followed was probably about a six to 10 month conversation from various points around the globe, all that led me to become more and more fascinated with the phenomenon that is Oberon Sinclair. So in simple answer to the question, yes, she did single-handedly make Kale famous, but how she did it and why she did it is a story you just have to hear. So here are a few background details on Oberon. She is the CEO and founder of the PR and creative agency, My Young Auntie. Over the past 20 years, she has collaborated with, consulted for, and managed clients, including Hermes, um, Vivian Westwood, Jack Spade, Converse, and Fabergé. 
On top of all of that, she is also widely regarded and known as the Queen of Kale. Now, and we'll get to that. In this conversation, we unpack how to spot and create trends by making and creating space in your own life for curiosity. Why deciding to act on that zing, you know, like that, that instinct, that moment where your guts just kind of freeze for a second is one of the most powerful decisions you can make in business and in life. Why she created the American Kale Association and why it became the vegetable kingdom's best kept secret. Another sentence I never thought I'd hear myself say out loud. How to create a network of influence, including creating natural and unforced connections. No faking it until you make it here. And finally, the keys to putting together effective collaborations, including the three-step rule, connect, create, and collaborate. Now, what I'd love you to reflect on while you're listening to this conversation isn't actually anything to do with influence per se, but it's how unlinear her journey has been. I think often we can fall into this trap of taking or believing an A plus B equals C approach to influence, that to build any kind of business career or movement from scratch, we just head in one straight line continually upwards with no detours. And from my experience and from any of the conversations I've had from those that have road tested the tools or along my own journey, it just doesn't work that way. It involves trusting your instincts, following the breadcrumbs when they appear, showing up, staying inspired when it feels like you're on a detour you did not ask for, aka the whole of 2020. And finally, playing the long game with the people that you meet along the way. Now, this conversation feels like it walks down many different paths. That is because it does. And it's also because that's what a truly inspired and influential life often feels like. But the question is always our commitment to keep walking. On that very reflective note, sit back, pull out some kale chips or ice cream, then email me and tell me why on earth anyone would eat kale ice cream and enjoy an insight into the brilliant mind of the queen of kale herself, Oberon Sinclair. Welcome to the podcast, Oberon Sinclair. Hello, Julie. Lovely to meet you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And thank you, Captain Jack, for making this happen. <laughs> <laughs> As a brief explanation for anybody that's listening, I, um, I received an email from somebody called Captain Jack a few months ago, just basically saying, love the podcast. And there's if there's one woman you need to talk to on the planet, it's Oberon Sinclair. And a, and a brief explanation as to why. And then he, he sent this introduction and we've just been trying to tee it up ever since. So I'm so glad we managed to make it happen. Thank you, Julie. It's a, it's a, a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, all right. I'm going to kick off with the question that I, that I usually kick off with because, you know, I have a theory. I have many theories and I usually use the podcast to test them out. And my theory is that really interesting people who, who have interesting ideas and communicate interesting ideas usually find ideas before the rest of us. So the question is, what idea have you been playing with that's having the most influence on you at the moment? What idea have I been playing with that's having the most influence on me at the moment? I've been doing a lot of research over the past five years into the shoppable content space, and I'm sort of fascinated right now to to see where that um, goes and how it goes. And I, I'm working with someone who has created that technology and seems to be the only person in the universe that has the ability 
to do shoppable content. Tell me what you mean by shoppable content, because there might be some people out there that don't understand the full spectrum of what shoppable content can be. You can be watching a screen and you uh, could be looking at a show or a commercial and you would be able to tap on that screen or talk to the screen and you'd be able to shop the product that you see. Right. So it's it's way beyond, you know, flicking through it's Instagram and, and, and buying. Yeah, it's way beyond. But I've sort of taken it to a really mad level. Good, exciting, entertaining, funny. Um, I've sort of brought emotion to that idea. Through storytelling. You know, the, the reason that Captain Jack thought that we should connect and, you know, as I learned more and more about you and your career, many people know you as the unofficial queen of kale. All vegetable royalty, <laughs> I think, is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I read a quote in the Times that I wrote down and it said, if the vegetable kingdom had a supermodel, it would be kale. So the Kate Moss of kale. And when I was thinking about that more, you know, we'll get to the how in a minute. You know, we're going to be talking about the the how does that happen and how you activate, you know, essentially trying to create a movement around something, around an idea or a product. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to start right back at the beginning because I've I've read you, I've read you or you quoted as saying, you know, at my core, I am an innate trend spotter. And when I read that, I just thought, that's exactly it. You know, if you if you want to be able to spread ideas first, you need to be able to spot good ideas. You need mm-hmm. to be able to spot things mm-hmm. that have energy. What does that feel like to you when you come across it? Is it a surge of energy? Is it is it some curiosity? Is it is it like a spidey sense? Or is there a mental checklist you go through where you're like, all right, that ticks all five of my boxes as something that could have legs? It takes me back to when I was a little girl, and I'm not doing the life story thing, so you'll all be spared. You can all not walk out the room in this part. But um, but um, you know, as a, as a young girl, I I, I my, my favorite place was the sweet shop, you know, uh, as it was with most Brits. And, um, you know, going to the sweet shop and being so curious about all the, all the different varieties of sweets that we had, it was always kind of magical. Um, and, and, and other things as well. You know, I, I grew up in an amazing household in London where my father um, was, was very a very curious man. He was very much into, you know, um, he was very... Uh, he was always exploring new music and um, art and cars and and anything that knew um, that was coming. Um, he was always seemed to be on the pulse and, and and in a very passionate way, in a very natural, passionate way. So I really do have to acknowledge and, and thank him for that because he kind of um, he he turned me on to so many cool things, whether it was art or music and from different eras and 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 from different parts of the world. And so I always had a very, very curious mind. And I always looked at things, um, products and, and, uh, and things, and always thought about how I could change them or alter them and what would they be like if they, if they were done this way or that way. So I always had the mindset of what if you did this or what if there was that or what if there was this product that worked this way. So I was always looking. I would always. I've always loved going to flea markets. I always love looking in vintage magazines. I like going backwards and forwards. So um, I was. I was very, very passionate about music growing up. That was my 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 big thing. Um, and uh, discovered bands at a very young age and managed them out of my bedroom in London. 
um, and then went on to have a little music career with the launch of MTV Music and then um, a brief stint in Hong Kong promoting bands there. To answer your question, you know, I've always, always, always been curious and I, I get very excited by things that are that are interesting to me and not in a sort of, um, you know, I still have that little girl excitement about me that sees something, whether it's in a flea market and, you know, my interests are like fashion, art, music, food. Um, uh, literature, film. You know, um, I've I've always delved as I can to get the inner and see what's down there and underneath, and to to get the backstory of you know uh, where did this come from, what was it for, who was behind it. And I'm just I'm I'm really fascinated by products and people. I'm very excited by interesting people that I meet, eccentric people. Why are they eccentric? What's there? You know, I've sort of um, always been attracted to. Um, interesting products um and and i've always been curious and i've never become jaded and i think that's because i i'm always excited by new things i find you know i went to a very recently a very quick example is um when i i i moved to um, northern california in march um to leave new york for for a little bit just to have some more space here um and i'm by coastal with my offices here in new york and i came to um berkeley and um and everything was on lockdown and i um was driving around and I saw this really beautiful little African shop on Telegraph called Mrs. Albo, which is in Oakland. And I saw that this lady had this little African shop and she was selling really cool um, African print textiles and dresses. And I went into the shop and um, nothing else was open and I found this beautiful fabric um, from Senegal that was very, very plain. Actually, I'm wearing the, the dress that I, I made. Um, it had horses on it. And it was just really abstract and cool and interesting and, and a bit eccentric. And I bought the fabric and then the sweet woman, Mrs. Albo, put me in touch with a friend of hers who sewed and I met them and um, got some dresses made um, from an old dress that I had and copied them. Um, and I just uh, started selling them online you know, um, just a couple of months ago under the name Oberon of London. And it was just, you know, I, I'm of the tra- I'm of the thought process that you can, you know, my father raised me to, to be able to do anything in life. He always said, there's nothing you can't do. Um, I don't think, I, well, there are a couple of things. I don't think I could be a, a surgeon, but um, I could have a good go. But um, I've always taken that approach with anything um, and so I've always been curious. I've always been excited to work with brands and people that excite me. Um, and it's just, I feel like it's, it's always made my experience magical. And I, and I continue to do that. And, and you know, I, I, I'm often quoted as saying, you know, um, you know, I love Churchill's quote, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's literally how I live day to day. Yeah, I love I think just the essence of what you said there being the word curiosity, you know, the, that sense that you are, because when you have curiosity, it requires, requires two things. It requires, um, space. You need to make space in your life for curiosity. And it always feels like, to me, it feels like the sensation is that there's a breadcrumb where suddenly I'm like, Oh, that's a breadcrumb. I'm going to, I'm going to pick that up. And you never know. It's going to be just one breadcrumb or you're going to pick that one up and then, Oh, there's another. And there's another. There's and b- before yeah. you know it, you're in a completely different direction, but you've got to A, create the space for breadcrumbs yeah. to arrive. And then you have to decide to pick them up, right? Like there's a lot of times yeah. where I think, oh, there's a breadcrumb. And then something happens There's a fire to put out. And, you know, I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I don't want more things. Yeah. 
and you don't pick it up. And so I think it takes those two things. It takes some space and it takes a decision to pick up those breadcrumbs. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I literally, you know, ever since I've been here in California, literally driving down the street, I've almost gotten into like 10 crashes just because I keep spotting stuff. And my brain is like, oh, my gosh, that's so great. That's so great. You know, and, and I literally will stop at the traffic light, get my camera and take pictures. You know, like uh, I'll see beautiful um, couches that have been left out on the street and graffiti, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's so cool. That's a great idea. If I were a furniture company, I would I would think I would love to do like a I wouldn't. One of the Andy Spades, you know, one of the things I'll never do. Uh, wouldn't it be great to have a couch company that had graffiti or art on them, you know, real graffiti and real art? Oh, and, uh, I love they're that. so cool looking. And I've seen stuff like that on the streets. And that inspires me. You know, I love I love street culture very, very much. I've never been a snob. I can get down and dirty with anyone. I can go high up. I mean, I can delve into any situation and I will go there. And that's to me, like, I'm, I'm a little bit fearless in that respect, but in other ways I can be fearless, but I'm, I'm never scared to, to delve in and go there. And, um, you know, even with the, even with the, um, the dresses I made with the, um, the lovely woman who owns the African shop, you know, I, uh, she, she gave me a headscarf and she wrapped it in the most beautiful big bow on my head with this African fabric. And then she tucked it in and it was suddenly like, oh, my gosh, this is a super cool headscarf. Um, and, and that's another whole that was another whole trend moment for me. You know, that, I mean, these happen like four or five times a day. You know, it's, it's constant. I have to train myself to just know, you know, I, I'll, I'll take notes or I'll take a photograph and I've got mood boards that I that I collect, um, and I, I'm constantly trying to be inspired. Not trying. I, I I I'm curious. And I think that that's another important point. That going back to that decision piece, you know, you have to try and decide to be inspired, and and that involves putting yourself in new places, talking to different kinds of people you wouldn't usually talk to, reading industry magazines from an industry that you're not in. You know, you have to make a decision to open up your radar. If you want inspiration, it's it's never going to come within the four walls of the box within which you exist. No, you also have to you have to find things that that uh, make you feel good and and right now I mean I've always done that I've always gotten excited by things and I li- could literally have the same feeling as when I was six weeks literally feeling excited by something like oh my gosh this is so fantastic um, and and that's 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 what I've always tried to do you know I get I, I absolutely love um, Instagram um, just because of the content that's on there um, I think it's probably not smart to be on your phone all the time. But I do get um, inspired by, um, you know, as you well know, Julie, you know, growing up in the UK, we, we grew up with really awful weather um, and very miserable and grey. Um, and, that, and that in turn affects your mood, you know. So I do love um, blue skies. So I'm very inspired, you know, whenever I wake up and there's a blue sky, I will shoot it and I will post it. And, um, you know, I got a lot of throwback from people saying like, why do you post a blue sky? And I was like, well, you know, that's the first thing I see. It makes me really happy. And that just gets my day going. That's mm-hmm. my morning meditation. That's my morning moment of, of sweets and just gets me going. It makes me so happy. Yeah. To, to decide to be inspired. I mean, that alone, yeah. I think, as a decision. By so many silly things sometimes, just just even, you know, flowers or, or, you know, I mean, not, or, you know, what I love out here that's been a big discovery are cactus. You know, I've never seen this many cactus in my life. I mean, they're everywhere. And, you know, I've even discovered a new possible, um, you know, uh, fruit that's, that's, that's not out there. So I'm constantly 
searching, seeking, um, delving um, in, in all ways. So that that takes me to the almost to the next logical question for me, which is, you know, you, you pick up the breadcrumbs, another one comes, you keep moving, you keep deciding to be inspired. And then you sometimes hit this point where you have to let an idea go, where there's no more breadcrumbs, where it feels like it's come to the end of whatever shelf life it had. How do you know which ideas to keep running with and which ideas to let go? Well, it depends if they're personal or if they're to do with my agency, my young auntie, which I've had now for 23 years. So I do actually, um, you know, have an, a, a bicoastal agency um, and we do take on, you know, um, accounts uh, and companies from, from, you know, food to fashion to, to uh, travel to beauty. I mean, in all areas, we don't really um, stop at anything. We just want to know that we can come in and, and work with people um, that want our vision and our point of view. Let's jump into, let's go to Kale. Let's go there. Because I think it's just a beautiful case study of the work that you do and, and, and how you do it and, and its impact. So how did that start? I mean, that's the, <laughs> that's, that's the primary question that I kept coming back to. Like, how does that begin? Do you, do you look at something and go, yep. I'm going to make this famous, or is it more of a progressive? Like, how does it start? Tell me the beginnings. Well, I'd noticed it in Europe, and I'd seen a bit of a, a trend sort of really on the periphery of it happening. And then um, in New York, um, just decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to do something really uh, wacky, um, and I'm going to promote kale as vegetable, and I'm going to create – um, a marketing plan and a publicity plan, and see where it goes. And I'm not. To, and I created the American Kale Association. Um, and with that, it was it was basically a way to prove to myself I could do something. And it was a challenge. And it was. And I and I and I felt really passionate about it. And um, I um, I uh, started putting it on specials in certain restaurants. Um, I worked with two lovely British guys called Ben and Phil, uh, Towel and Windsor, who own the Fat Radish um, New York restaurant. And they put it on um, the menu as a special. I would go around New York and just basically take chalkboards and write kale. Um, and then just literally started pushing it out um, in stories and putting it, you know, in places, having people, you know, talk about it. And basically seeding it through my network, which um, has grown and grown and grown and grown over the years. You know, I, I, um, it, 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 you know, I, I can, I can work promoting these different things, having an interesting network, which goes back, you know, all, uh, most of my life. You know, I'm, I'm 52 now, um, but from my late teens, you know, I've really held on to all the. Uh, people, the interesting people I've met over the years. And I think nowadays they'd be referenced as influencers. Um, but what I'm really sort of, I, I've, I've really known some great people in, in you know, built up an authentic um, network over the years with people in film, fashion, beauty, food, literature. Um, so that's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over the years and not in a, I don't actually like the word network, but my, my little stable that's grown bigger. Um, I've always included friends and acquaintances in these projects, and I've always had arms out to to these people. Um, so I've always been. I've had a, a great 
um, stable of people to go to when I'm ready to launch something, um, whether it's a celebrity or whether it's a, you know someone someone of influence. Um, and and that's also um, what happened. What, what happened with Kale? I was I pushed it out there in in as many ways as I could, and it just basically took on a domino effect. So let's go back to the network thing, because you had, and I think it's very easy for someone to sit listening to this, as I probably would have done it at a stage in my career, and go, well, you know, hands up in the air, I don't have a network. You know, hands up in the air, I don't know anybody of influence, so I can't, you know, whether it's an idea that I want to create a movement around, whether it's a product that I want to create mm-hmm. a movement around, mm-hmm. I can't do it. And I just mm-hmm. want to just talk to that roadblock where does that begin? Because, all right, you might not have one now. So, okay, job number one. I was contacted by a company a few years ago who wanted to explore um, the world of sustainability through um, uh, the ocean. I called a very, very dear old friend of mine who actually has so much knowledge in the ocean. Um, and he's a dear friend of mine. And it's uh, Matthew Modine, who's an actor. Um, and um, we go back you know, maybe 30 years at this point. And he's done a, a, a lot of work in um, in the sustainable world and he studied, you know, the ocean and um, uh, marine biology back in the day. So I brought um, Matthew on board and we developed a pilot show, which we still have, which is a mini series challenging, you know, sustainable efforts in the ocean and, and, and trying to find uh, smart ways to, to save the ocean, which is a huge problem. And so in the beginnings of your career, mm-hmm. does that just come back? Because I keep coming back to this word curious. I think that when you build a network, it starts mm-hmm. again with curiosity. You know, you meet someone, they're fascinating. It's not forced. You just find somebody really interesting and you decide, okay, I'm going to bring that person into my world. I want that person in my world. And you decide to stay in touch. You decide to continually contribute to their world without an agenda. Are those the keys that you found to, as you said, it's a tribe that keeps growing. Like, are those the, those are the keys to having that? It's sort of like being around like-minded people. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really a networker. I don't really engage in like, I must go somewhere network. That actually feels like so has never been part of my thing. Um, I've always been interested in, in all the things I'm interested in and comedy. I love to laugh, but it has to be natural. I never, I've never forced friendships. I've never felt um, the pressure to be friends with someone because of their certain status. Actually, I mean, I, I meet people on the street and, you know, I, I'd sooner talk to um, meet someone interesting that's, that's, that's interesting. Mm. Um, and, and for some reason, it's not because of a social status or if they're rich or they're poor. I'm fascinated by people who are interesting and have got something to say and are doing something interesting. And that excites me. And um, it's like chemistry. You know, when you meet someone, you instantly know if you've got chemistry with them. You know, I, I love being around older people. That's, that's for me, been a, um, you know, I'll, I'll go both ways where I, I love being around, you know, I have friends who are in their, you know, quite a few friends of mine are in their 80s, you know, and, and I mean, the stories and the storytelling and the ideas and they're just the cultural references to me are just, they're just you know, amazing. And then, you know, I have a, you know, I have an 18 year old daughter, Scarlett, and, uh, you know, she's like having a, an indoor research department between her and her friends. <laughs> you know, I'm always sitting around chatting with her friends and I'm trying to find out what they're interested in, what they're, what, what music they're listening to. So, so whoever I'm around, I'm sort of, it, it's always felt natural. It never felt forced. I never was someone that was sort of had to be somewhere or had to go somewhere or it always happened. And I, I honestly feel very blessed for that. 
let's get back to let's go back to Kerr for a second because the, the other thing that's that struck me about the work that you did there was I have this theory that that mastery is simplicity. You know, we think that to be masterful at something, we need to make it really complex. We need to show all the information. And actually, the more simple you can make something, that takes mastery. You know, you've got to wade through all the complexity to get to simplicity. I've always been um, fascinated with community, the idea of bringing people back together, because I feel like we've kind of lost each other a bit. And now more so, Um, more so and not so. But I'm always slightly fascinated with with community and, and, and getting along and, and especially what's what's going on in the world and, and really coming together and trying to figure out ways of doing that. Um, probably gone off subject. But yeah, uh, I think less is more. I do think less is more. So when you, you know, you sit down with, with a topic like kale and I know you, there's plenty of other products mm-hmm. and topics that you've worked mm-hmm. on. How do you come up with the messaging? Because you've got all this information, right? You've got, you've got the nutrition of it. You've got the taste of it. I love words and I love, I love playing with words and I love, you know, um, old sayings and that kind of thing like you know i'll constantly say you know never a dull moment.com i'd love to own that you know with kale i came up with you know aka the american kale association as known as kale yeah um what else did we do um i took i made some t-shirts um and we did a t-shirt that said on it caning me softly you know we just we just i i did a t-shirt line um kale mary i mean we did some some really funny ones and didn't you wake up one morning and find a picture of beyonce wearing one of those one of those t-shirts yes yeah how did that come about that was um someone created the kale logo i can't take credit for that but after all the work i'd done with promoting kale she did a shoot and was wearing that t-shirt and it was like okay this this is a moment this is an amazing moment it was insane actually it was brilliant one of the the questions that i had for you which that might be the answer was was there a day you know sometimes when you when something takes off in a way that you either had or hadn't expected there's usually a moment or a day where you wake up and you go oh my goodness it was definitely There've been a few. That was definitely one of them. I was getting called by everyone. Like the BBC called me and they said, you know, I think I was actually in Shanghai working at the time. And I had a, a call from someone at the BBC radio. And I think the first question was, what's the next big vegetable? And um, I just remember thinking, <laughs> someone had said, well, you are, you know, vegetable royalty. It was all ever so slightly Monty Python. And I do like to do things that is serious and health, you know, healthy and, and, and smart, but I, I, I don't take myself too seriously. Talk to me about the American Kale Association, because I really noticed that when I was, when I was re- doing the research, I noticed that there was a lot of talk about the American Kale Association, and then it kind of became clear that the American Kale Association was something that you had, you had created. Why did you feel like you needed that vehicle? I just thought it would make it, I just knew it had to be legitimate to a point and I created it and I um, did this great association and website um, just for, for people to be able to contact me and as, as a springboard. Um, and there were a lot, there were a lot of, you know, people interviewing me and they're like, where did the American Health Association come from? Um, <laughs> and at first I didn't say, at first I was a bit sort of coy about where, you know, where it came from. And then I did an interview with someone and they said, where, where did it, you know, where did it originate from? And I said, no, oh, you know what I created. And it was almost, it was almost another Monty Python moment where this woman said, I've just, I've got this huge scoop, you know, um, it, it, it just, um, it just made sense to me to create it. Um, and it just, and I, and I loved the idea that it was AKA, you know, as known as American Kale Association. Uh, but it just, it made it more authentic. 
uh, another quote that I read was something around, you know, if you want to know why Kale is famous, one woman woke up one day and decided to make it so. And I loved that. I loved that it, quote. It, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm still amazed by it. I'm still amazed by it. I still, you know, just, just uh, uh, very happy that that's something I was able to do. But I, I done, I done something not similar, but not something that that kind of led to this that will probably make sense. Um, so I'd met um, um, Andy and Katie Spade um, in the mid '90s, um, and when I first started my agency. Um, uh, Andy brought me on board to help him create a uh, men's side to Kate Spade. Um, and so he created uh, the name Jack Spade, which was really no one. It was a made up name, um, which I don't know if people know about, but we created a whole fictitious person behind this brand. Um, and it was a curiosity brand. And we did really, really interesting campaigns. And one, I mean, a couple that was so fun. I was talking about one the other day. One was called The Honest Campaign. And what we did was we took, uh, we took uh, like 20 wallets, five-fold canvas wallets, and we filled them with stuff Jack would have in his wallet. And we um, had our friend Matt Jones, who's a photographer from London, um, work on the campaign. And he photographed different people picking up the wallets. And then we did a whole mini book um, called The Honest Campaign, and we did a whole survey on, you know, who returned the wallets, what was in the wallets, and what's the most honest neighborhood. Um, and that sort of springboarded um, us into Jack Spade world, which was a 10-year glorious time. Um, and we did amazing things around this character that we made up. So I would sort of say that that was sort of an early, you know, that was in 98, I think that was, 99. And were people using that? I mean, the term guerrilla marketing is thrown around kind of a lot at the moment. Was that before the term? I felt like it was more, no, I mean, guerrilla, you're right, that's more. I, it was, I felt like it was very sort of out of the box, um, sort of punk at heart. And we were, we, were, we were doing something fun that was different. We've always tried to do fun and different, interesting things, um, you know, from, from the beginning. When we, when we actually launched the brand, um, we, um, we sent out 100 wallets to all the editors and we filled Jack wallet, you know, uh, Jack Spade wallets with stuff he would have. And I wrote on a piece of paper, where's Jack? And I put a dollar in each um, wallet and then we sent them out and I covered them in newspaper and I sent them to all the editors. And then um, people called me and they were like, oh my gosh, you know, I've got Jack's wallet. And that was the launch of that campaign. It takes a dedication to stand out. It takes a dedication to be, do something interesting, do something intriguing, do something fascinating as opposed to the usual. I mean, you know, um, a, a year and a half ago, I was called uh, by a wonderful gentleman who's now a good friend of mine called Joe Bundrant, who owns Trident Seafoods. Um, and out of the blue, he called me and just said, you know, I'm really fascinated by the work you've done and what you did with Kale. And I'd love to talk to you. Um, he flew to New York um, and we met and um, he said, I own Trident Seafoods, you know, in, in Seattle and Alaska. And, um, you know, I, I um, own the company. I have, you know, thousands of employees and fishermen. And, and my father, started, his father, Chuck Bundrant, started the company. Um, and I'd love to let you know about wild Alaska pollock. It's, it's the most abundant, sustainable fish on the planet. And I was just, I had no reference. I had no experience with working with fish. I know what fish I like, um, but this was a whole new project for me, campaign. And I went to Alaska a couple of times and, um, and it's just been the most incredible experience. I've met the most wonderful people I've ever met in an industry I knew nothing about and literally sort of delved in headfirst. Um, also, 
have been working with the genuine Alaska pollock producers. Um, and I've just met this amazing um, world of uh, people um, with this, this world Alaska pollock. And it's just been a huge eye opener. Um, and it's just been, um, been pretty amazing. I, I've coined this, the, 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 the term, you know, superfish. Um, and I've done a lot of interesting collaborations over the past year. We did a big um, photo shoot story in Vogue for the launch um, when I started the campaign. And it's just sort of been ongoing, um, seeding the fish into interesting restaurants because it is the cleanest, most abundant, sustainable fish on the planet. And I've been there. I've done my research. It's true. It's really good for you. And it also builds muscle in your in your body, which is another whole research paper that just came up. That's just for me, you know, I'm fascinated. I mean, I'd never been deep sea fishing in the middle of Alaska and, and met these people and stayed on their plant, you know, in the far depths of Alaska and, uh, you know, with, with thousands of other people um, on the processing plant. I mean, just, you know, there, there's a woman that works um, at Trident, you know, at their, at their uh, factory, their, you know, uh, their plant in Alaska. And there's a woman that works there um, and she does all the washing for all the workers. And um, Oh, what a job. There's probably a few thousand uh, workers there, and she, for every wash that she does, every item of clothing, she blesses it. Mm. Bless clothing, and I, I mean, things like that just are extraordinary. And it's, it's so always part of the story. I really go into a brand, and I really always try to explore as much authenticity as as as, as possible. And I really want to know the background of the company and why. And, and, and I really wanted to get to know the people in the company and why they're there and what are their personalities. Um, and that to me is, is such a huge part of my work. I want to dive into collaborations a little, just a little bit, because again, I, I was going through your Instagram and you, you didn't, you've done a post saying that your quest is to connect, create and collaborate. And it, it got me thinking about collaborations because there's good collaborations and bad collaborations and, you know, collaborations that work for one party and not the other, but the most sustainable ones, the joyous ones, the ones that just keep growing are the ones that work for both parties. What have you found to be the key in putting together a good collaboration? I think, I think you have to know your parties to begin with. And I think it has to make sense. And I think emotionally, um, it has to make sense too. Sometimes things that don't normally go together do go together. So there is that also. But um, I think if you, it's a feeling for me. It's a feeling. I, I get, uh, uh, I get, you know, I, I actually physically feel something when I have an idea and I want to put a collaboration of sorts together. Um, it's an idea I have and bringing both parties to the table. You can normally tell if it's going to work or not. Um, you know, we, um, we, we, we help with the launch of, uh, this wonderful company called, uh, Sambason, um, started by Jeremy and Ryan Black out of San Clemente, California, wonderful guys, brothers, and they, they founded Sambason. Um, and at that moment with the, you know, uh, they brought the acai berry from, um, from the rainforest in the Amazon. And we, we, we really, you know, um, started doing a whole series of, of breakfasts in New York, many of them, um, and with the whole acai bowl movement, which was really fun and really nutty. Um, but it, it sort of went insane. It has to feel right. It's like, you know, if I meet a new client, I say to them always, you know, um, thank you for, for meeting with us, but it is actually a two-way street. 
And we have to know beyond anything and beyond money, beyond anything, that you two have something, the two parties have something in common and that you have, that, that there is a, a coming together moment. And you feel that. It's like when you meet anyone in life, if you have a connection to that person, it will work. If you meet someone, and I've met people in the past, clients who want to work with us, and I just, I just haven't had the right feeling or I just didn't feel I could, I could, do them in, you know, uh, it wouldn't be an advantage. Sometimes you can have ideas and show people and they don't get it. And if they don't get the idea, they're never going to get it. You can't convince someone to get a cool idea or to be cool. It's, it's either or not cool. Um, there's no rhyme or reason sometimes, but it really does come down to chemistry. And I've always gone with my gut instincts and I've always known when to pull back. And trust me, there are times when I've really wanted the client uh, you know, you know, thinking, well, that would be a great account to have. But if it doesn't make sense, I won't do it. So I, I have a, a smaller agency. It's not huge. It, I'm sure people imagine I have a massive agency, but it's 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 not massive. And I also like I also like doing the work. You know, I like being involved. I like the storytelling. I love getting excited and coming up with pitches and strategies and then collaborations and so on. And and that just keeps me excited, keeps my brain moving. Have you had any that haven't worked? You know, when you, and we've all had those moments where you, there's an idea, you, you, you're really excited about it, that you resonate with the people who are involved in the idea. You think, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take this on. You come up with what you believe to be a killer strategy, incredible storytelling. And for some reason, it just doesn't take off. That's happened not so much with products, I would say. Sometimes I've had extraordinary story ideas. Um, uh, years ago, um, I worked with a wonderful brand from uh, from China called Shanghai Tang because uh, I lived there for a long time, and um, we were we were doing some uh, event in Mongolia with some Mongolians. I think it was like a sort of sports game with horses. It was very, very cool. And, and I offered a couple of editors together and shoot and do a story. And it was just like, you had to fly in on a helicopter. It had never been done before. Not everything I do is this like jet set, by the way, but this is an extraordinary situation. And and no one uh, could do it. It was just like, oh, sorry. You know, sometimes I'll have really incredible opportunities um, for, for press stories. And sometimes it's just, you know, I feel like um, uh, the media side has been, has it's gotten more difficult maybe because a lot of advertisers came in and bought advertising and, and it made sometimes pitching harder. Is there, going back to that, you know, the things that do and do not get traction, there's one thing to have awareness. There's one thing to be able to build awareness about something. It's another thing often altogether to get people to do something about that awareness, to actually buy kale, to donate to a charity, to change their behavior in some way, shape or form. What have you learned in your journey around the keys to getting people to take action on a piece of awareness that they have? I think it's not, um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people think I've got tons of, you know, t- uh, years of uh, strategy behind one particular thing, but it really does come from my gut and being authentic and not, not trying to do the bells and the whistles, but actually going to something in its truest form. And as you said earlier, the less is more approach um, and, and, and trying to do something in its purest form. Um, and I feel, you know, I've never, never been too pushy and I've always um, tried to be as authentic as possible as, as, as who I am as a person. I sort of live who I am. I'm not, there are no sides to me. I, I don't, you know, I'm not networky. And um, I think um I think um, it's always translated. I've always 
come from an honest place, an honest, truthful place, even if it's, you know, if, if I'm not always right, I'm happy to come in and say, oh, maybe, you know, I was, that wasn't perfect or maybe we could redo something this way. But, I mean, I would say, you know, eight times out of ten over the years, it, they, it, you know, hey, I'm a small agency and I've been in business for 23 years, so I must be, something must be working. Something, something must be working. Um, I think a lot of things are working. Thank you. I mean, I, I don't have a lot of time normally to stop and say, you know, oh, that was great. I did that. You know, I just keep, I just keep going forward. What would you love to work on now? You know, if I could, if I could bring you the client of your dreams right now, or you're like, if I could just get my hands on that product or that movement, is there something on your radar you'd love to work on? Oh, so many things. Whoever's out there, um, look me up, my young auntie. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd sometimes. I mean, there are so many different, um, as I've said, I'm definitely venturing into the space of um, shoppable content and I'm creating a, you know, um, I'm creating a company to do that. So um, that's an interesting project that it's a dream for me to be doing. I'm fascinated by, by space and what's going on with NASA. I got to go to the 50th anniversary last year and I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in that space. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in, you know, I was, I went down a rabbit hole last night of jetpacks. There's a new company making jetpacks. I think they're in Australia. Super interested in that. I mean, I, I'm, there are many, many things. I mean, I've got a long list. I'm going to finish up with just the usual question that I ask at the end. And that's if there's somebody out there that's listening to this and they really want to create a movement or spread an idea or get people to take interest in whatever it is that they're trying to get them to engage with. What's the one thing if they wake up tomorrow morning and they just do one thing, what, what would that thing be? Do it. <laughs> like I'm, do anything. Do it. Just take some action. Do, do it. Just do it. Just, just don't, you know, it's like, um, like, you know, Anthony Spade says, you know, he's got all these ideas. I have all these ideas. Um, but, but you know, every, everyone has, and it's knowing when to do one and knowing when not to do one and when to talk about something or not talk about it, but actually just try and do it. And it and it, and it doesn't have to be. I feel like so many people now have been, you know, the younger generation have been brainwashed to think everyone has to be a millionaire. Well, I think if you take that off the table and you say, well, OK, it can't be about money. It's got to be about, you know, happiness and success. But doing something that, that, that makes you um, happy, something that's going to make you excited because you've got to put that energy into something that's going to keep it going. And if it's something you're not excited about, uh, I don't think it could. I mean, I don't know. If it, I don't think it could work. But that's me. You know, I think um, I think you've got to be excited by things in life. I'm constantly excited. And I love talking to the people that I work with on these with these companies I represent and brainstorming with them. And, you know, I work with um, a wonderful fashion company called Frances Valentine um, that, you know, uh, Katie Spade started with her best friend, Elise Derens. Um, and then, you know, when when COVID happened, you know, everyone, uh, you know, it was very scary. And so with Frances Valentine, um, we, um, you know, we came up with the idea um, at the beginning of COVID that it would be smart to, um, because we had such a huge inventory um, that it would be smart to um, sell a bag and donate the bag to a healthcare worker. And I, and I must say that we won the first companies to do that. And it was a, it was a really good moment. And um, I really uh, congratulate Elise, um, who's a dear friend of mine, um, on, on successfully putting that campaign together. 
and it was just wonderful and it was done in a in a really authentic way and we helped people and um it was a it was a way to promote the company and we, we actually didn't know um what we were going to do but that felt like a, a smart thing to do and it and it was very successful well everyone thank you so much for, for coming onto the podcast for, for finding a space in in your crazy schedule between two coasts it's been such a pleasure thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to talk to you um thank you it's it's lovely to be able to talk about these things which i don't do often but thank you Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found tons and tons of useful ideas and insights for growing your own influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your influence journey, you want to take everything you have learned today and just ramp it up a notch, or you just want to learn more about the power of thought leadership when it comes to growing a business, an enterprise, or spreading an idea, there is now also a research paper that you can download from my website, juliemasters.com pop in your email address it is free we will not spam you but it is jam-packed full of all the ideas tools and case studies that I have come across in 10 years of doing this work it's called the influencer code it's not long but it is full of value so download it keep it share it juice it for all it is worth I hope that it makes a massive difference in your career or business Thank you always to our producer, co-founder, and the main brain, I'm not joking, behind the Inside Influence podcast, Lauren Kelly. In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an interview.